0: We'll start with verse number one, Romans chapter eight and verse number one. It's good to see everybody here in the house of God here tonight. And no, tonight you blew in to the house of God. You (laughs) literally blew in to the house of God tonight. We're so grateful and thankful that you are here. Be careful on the way home. Amen. Praise God. Has God been good to you? If he has, nudge your neighbor somebody close by you, share it and say, God's been really good to me. I'm thankful for the blessing of the Lord. I'm thankful for his goodness. Amen. It's worth sharing and proclaiming. Amen. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. I want to speak just for a few moments here tonight on this subject. It's just one word, sublime, sublime, and that has to do with this chapter. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you would strengthen us tonight as we stand before you. We recognize that a rock is something that is foundational to us, in our spiritual walk with you, and you are the chief cornerstone. So we stand upon that, and we stand upon your word. We ask that you would be with us for a few moments here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Can be seated? Before I get started here uh, tonight, let me just say a quick word about something that was called CAFE. It was a home fellowship group at somebody's house, and people got together, and it was reaching out to individuals that may not be quite as connected, And we're not calling that cafe anymore because it got confusing because of Cafe 43. And so we call it koinonia, which is a Greek word in the New Testament, which has to do with sharing relationship and community. And so it's kind of like the fellowship of the saints. So if you hear that and you're confused about what that is, that is what cafe once was. And if you get an invitation, you understand, recognize what that is now. Amen. Sublime. Sublime means lofty, grand, or exalted in thought, expression, or manner. It can also mean of outstanding spiritual, intellectual, or moral worth. And it can also mean something that inspires awe because of its elevated quality of beauty, nobility, and grandeur. It has a transcendent kind of uh, connection and it speaks of excellence. So when we say something is sublime we're talking about something that is lofty and grand. And there have been times when individuals have asked a question, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And of course that's very difficult because there's a lot of verses in the scripture that you could pick. And I have a I have in my office, I have in my office some paintings with four verses on it and I was asked to pick those four verses out. As my favorite verses. So that's a that's a worthy endeavor. You could also ask, what is your favorite book of the Bible? What's your favorite genre of the Bible? What's your favorite book of the Bible? And what is your favorite chapter of the Bible? And the reason why I say this is a sublime conversation here tonight is because I believe. This chapter is elevated, lofty, it's excellent, it's transcendent, it is one of the most amazing chapters in the entire Bible, and that is Romans chapter number 8, and that's what we started with here tonight. And tonight, keep your Bibles close by you because we are going to read through the entire chapter of Romans chapter 8. There is a, there is a, a theology that is found in Romans chapter 8 that is connected to the Spirit, and it is certainly for us today. There are elements in the chapter in which we struggle spiritually at times. There are things in it that we don't understand and we have no answers for, but yet it ends with the great, great promise. So it is a sublime chapter in the Bible. It's one of my favorite chapters, and it comes after a chapter, Romans chapter number 7, in which Paul is really having... A identity crisis spiritually in his life a personal crisis in his life and it also contains some of the most amazing uh, experiences and definitions and clarity at the same time producing a lot of, of consternation if you will because in Romans chapter number seven Paul is talking about his struggle And every single one of us have struggles and have difficulties. None of us are here perfect. And Paul certainly would have been one that we could have stated was a great theologian. He was a great pastor taking care of churches. And he was a great missionary. He had a great impact on the entire world. So for him to be talking about the struggle certainly helps us in our situations to recognize everybody goes through difficulties and struggles, and Paul was not immune from that. And in Romans chapter number 7, he is describing all the things in his life that produce the most angst and turmoil and struggle in his life. So he lays it out. He is authentic. He does not sugarcoat it at all. That's why the Bible is so very powerful. The Bible is not going to sugarcoat something that's not real. And and Paul's experience here was just to lay out reality. And he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And he describes a law that is in his members warring against his mind. And he's struggling with all of this in Romans Chapter number seven, and at some point in that, this was, you talk about Bible quizzing, this was one of the most difficult chapters in Bible quizzing to learn because of all the things that Paul is saying. What he wants to do, he doesn't do, and then he doesn't do that which he wants to do, and he goes through all this kind of stuff, and so this language is very, very difficult to pick up. And then at the end of it, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This is his struggle. This is his turmoil. And so in chapter number 7, it feels like Paul's about to have a nervous breakdown. Have you ever been there before when it feels like everything you're trying to do, you're struggling to do it, and everything you don't want to do, that's the things that you're having problems with? Anybody testify to those moments in life? Sometimes life is full of difficulty, and Paul finds himself At a breakdown, and he describes his own condition as being a wretched man who shall deliver me from the body of this death. He called it a death. I'm happy to proclaim to you here in the house of God tonight that there is a solution and there is an answer and if it would have ended in chapter number 7 we would be most of individuals depressed. But we're not depressed in the house of God tonight because Paul didn't leave us at chapter 7. When you turn the page and you get into chapter 8 you find something sublime that is all inspiring. That is amazing. That is transcendent. When you're talking about the transcendence of God, you're talking about the power of God. And when you're talking about the power of God, you're talking about the anointing of God. And when you're talking about the anointing of God, you're talking about the spirit of God. We would be stuck as a wretched individual in wretched situations if it was not for the power of the Holy Ghost and the spirit of God, working in us. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and thank the Lord for the Holy Ghost here tonight. Praise God. Amen. He continues after verse number one, which we read. He said, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul sees two different laws here. He sees the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that makes us free, and then he also sees a law of sin and death. He's making a reference to the law of sin and death, to the Old Testament law. And what he is saying here, the law could not do some things in that, now some of his his people listening to this would take much umbrage with him, but Paul said, he said the law was weak. Paul said the law was weak sauce. <laughs> he said it was weak because it could, not, it could not do or it could not empower an individual to do the dictates that was in the law. And so all it could do was tell you where you were wrong, but it didn't give you any power to overcome the wrongs in your life. And so he said, because of that, God sent forth his son that came to condemn the law and to condemn sin. And Calvary did that work. And so he sees these two laws. There is a law of the spirit, and then there is a law of sin, And he also seems to be referencing not just the Old Testament law, but he also is referencing a law of sin in terms of carnality. So he's talking about spirituality as well as talking about an old covenant. If you're walking in carnality, it's going to be a pathway and a direction of death. He said to be carnally minded is death. And he said to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So there's two different laws that are at play here. God came and condemned the old weak law and sin and death. And provided to us a better way. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for the blood of Calvary. Amen. The work of Calvary is greater than anything that the law could do. And Paul said this. He said, we do what was in the law through the Spirit. As Gentiles, we're doing through the Holy Ghost what the law requires of us. And it gives us the power to do that. So, he's talking about a law of sin. Old Testament law, cast judgment, but there's no power to overcome. And he's talking about a universal law of carnality. And he defines, this is the way he's setting up this chapter. He's saying from the very beginning, we are not under a spirit of doom. Certainly feels that way. In Romans chapter 7, feels like doom. But in Romans chapter 8, he said we're not under doom. We're not under condemnation. And let me just say this about condemnation. Condemnation is never something God puts on you. Condemnation is what the devil puts on you and your flesh puts on you. When you feel condemned, it's because you failed. And the enemy of your soul knows that and he uses that to leverage you. God doesn't put condemnation on you. God calls you to conviction. Conviction. And so Paul is saying there is no doom on us there is no condemnation because we're not walking after the flesh we're walking after the spirit in other words we're pursuing the holy ghost we're pursuing that which is in, which empowers us to overcome death hell and the great and all of the wretched situations that we could find ourselves in in which we would say oh wretched man that I am who can deliver me from the body of this death who can do it? Jesus can do it. How does he do it? Through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Through his spirit. That's how he does it. So he sets up this chapter from the very beginning with these two different laws sin and sinful flesh, carnality the spirit, pursuing the spirit and then he goes on in verse number 9. But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you Now, if this is a very, very important scripture right here. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's very important. That has to do with the new birth experience and that has to do with the essentiality of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. In this passage, these few verses here, Paul is saying you need the Holy Ghost. He is very, very emphatic here. As a matter of fact, he says if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you are none of his. That's strong language. That's polemic language but it is absolutely essential. You cannot make it without the Holy Ghost. You are going to be a carnal person without the Spirit of God operating in your life. You need to be full of the Holy Ghost. Maybe the problem is in your life, when's the last time you prayed through to a renewing of the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah, every time we come to the house of God. What do we need? We need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the spirit operating and moving in our life. We're all about the Holy Ghost. We talk about the Holy Ghost. We pray in the Holy Ghost. We speak in tongues in the Holy Ghost. Why is that important? Because that is an important element of survival when it comes to spirituality. You need the Holy Ghost in your life. That opens up a whole Bible study because, okay, well, I thought I had the Spirit in my life. I thought I said some words and then somehow that just happened by osmosis or, or based on my statement of faith. And that is not what the Scripture Reveals to us a new birth experience is something that happens of water and it happens of spirit and Jesus told his disciples very emphatically to go into the world and preach the gospel baptizing in the name of the father son and the Holy Ghost which is in Jesus name. He told them there was a promise coming to go to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem. They tarried there in an upper room. The Holy Ghost was poured out upon them and they spake with tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Acts 2, 8, 10, and 19 reveal to us this is a normative thing that happens in an early church, that the Spirit of God comes into the life of an individual through the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And then when you are baptized in Jesus' name, you are sealed with his name, your blood, his blood covers you. That's the new birth experience. And in this chapter, Paul is saying it is is absolutely essential. It is not a second work of grace. It is not a gift that's just a blessing that's somehow hanging out there. It is something that is absolutely essential to, to happen in your life. You need the Spirit of God. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You need the Holy Ghost in your life. It needs to be operating in your life. It needs to be moving in your life. It's absolutely essential. And so here he establishes really what this entire chapter is about, and that is about the empowerment of the spirit. It is the power that is, he says here, it's the same power that was in Jesus. And if it's in you, it's going to raise you up from the dead to quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So it's the power that throws off the limitations of earthly existence. And it allows heaven to come down and reside in the earth. And that new birth experience is about acknowledging some things in your life. That means repentance. The removal of some things in your life. That means baptism in Jesus' name. And the power, the power in your life to give you the ability to not live in the flesh but live in the spirit. Amen. We look at scripture we find that in the Old Testament there were periods when God's Spirit was upon somebody in measure and so Samson would be a great example the Holy Ghost was on Samson on Samson it was not the same experience as being in Samson in the New Testament but his spirit moved upon individuals for his purpose for specific times in this case during the period of the judges and Samson when he is when the holy when the anointing of god is in his life and it's operating samson does amazing things he tears a lion apart he carries the gates of the city to the top of a hill he takes down a building by pushing on the pillars he defeats 1000 philistines with the jawbone of a donkey he ties 300 fox tails together and destroys crops he's able to do amazing things And yet at the same time, at the same time, Samson has difficulty because his eye is on the women of the Philistines. And he was not supposed to cross over there. He's messing around with riddles and games with the enemy, which causes problems. He succumbs to Delilah. He's grinding at a mill with his eyes plucked out. And so Paul is saying right here, you you can do amazing things when the Holy Ghost is operating your life and you're in the spirit and you can do some terrible things if you're walking in the flesh. If you're walking in carnality, there's no telling what you would do. And don't, don't sit there and say, I would never do that. It's upon everybody, because everybody is humanity, and when you are steeped in carnality, you have no clue to what depths you would go, because there is nothing that stops you, keeps your conscience in check. You're just completely free and open to everything. Thank God for the Holy Ghost in our life, because when the Holy Ghost is in my life, and the Spirit of God is in my life, I can do all things through Christ. That strengthens me, Because of his spirit and his anointing. I want to walk in the spirit. Not in the flesh. Verse number 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are debtors to what? We're debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify, that means to kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. Right? Thank God for the Holy Ghost. And then he said, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's inclusive language. That means that you're also a daughter. That doesn't just mean it's male generated or specific. You are the sons of God. Verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, Paul, this is sublime, ladies and gentlemen. Romans chapter 8 is amazing. He's talking in the beginning about the Spirit in the flesh. He sees two laws. He's coming out of wretchedness in chapter number 7. And he's laying down here the theology of the Spirit of God in his life. And he is saying, if you got the Holy Ghost in your life, you can do great things. It will quicken your body, it will resurrect you, it will empower you, does amazing things. If you're walking in carnality, it ends in a dead end street and in death. And he says, because of that, we are indebted to God. We should be very, very thankful to God because of the gift of his spirit in our life. And he said, That inclusion of us receiving the Holy Ghost makes us a son and a daughter, children of God. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you are in a different family now, more than your earthly family, but you have transcended into a heavenly realm. He's elevated us to sit in heavenly places, and he calls us a son and a daughter, and now we're in the family of God and we say abba father you may have had wretchedness for a for a biological father that was a mess and he wasn't a good example but this father gives to you the benefits we call him abba father that's a term of endearment because we recognize when we receive the holy ghost we also receive the benefits of abba father so if he's if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, we're connected to that. If it's joy unspeakable and full of glory, we're connected to that. If it's peace that passes understanding, we're connected to that because we reap the benefits. We reap the benefits. And the Spirit in us tells us We're the children of God. There's a lot of voices in the world, and a lot of times we can even become confused by the voices in our own head. And we can have a whole conversation with ourselves, and that's okay. It's all right to talk to yourself. It's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. You can get a lot of things done by talking to yourself when nobody else is around. Other people may think you've lost your mind and you're crazy, especially if you're doing it in public. But if you're just wandering around, it's all right to have a conversation with yourself. And sometimes this internal conversation becomes it becomes a, a mental health problem because we start talking to ourselves in a negative, debilitating, depressive way. And we start thinking to ourselves, I'm not good enough, I don't measure up enough. I've got this problem, I've got that problem. Paul seems to be going through that in Romans chapter number 7. And yet the theology of the spirit that is in chapter number 8 is very, very clear that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is something in you when you have the Holy Ghost that tells you you are a child of God. How? Who? It's God's spirit in us telling us, don't listen to other voices that will destroy you, kill you, try to assassinate you, tell you you're nothing, you're cheap, you're you're, you're at the bottom of the barrel, you'll never make anything out of yourself. That's a lie. If the Holy Ghost is in your life, you are a child of God. You don't live under those rules and those regulations. That is worldly and carnal. You live according to the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Whoo. About threw out a tonsil. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have any tonsils. Had them taken out. I can just rear back and yell. Nothing will happen. Unless a lung comes up. You will die living after the flesh, no matter how. Positive secular culture tries to paint it, market it, promote it, or force it. Paul said here, that law will take you to a spiritual grave and it will take you to an earthly grave. And that sin will be a stink on you. It will taint you. But there's something within you that identifies It's the spirit of God identifying in your life, interceding on your behalf and saying to you, you are a child of God. No matter what the enemy says, what is in you is the witness. What is in you is the witness. Stop stop arguing with yourself and stop arguing with the enemy of your soul and let the witness be what is in you. Did you notice that when David meets Goliath and Goliath tells him you're a scallywag? He didn't say that, but I'm just, you know, this is my interpretation. You're a scallywag and you're nobody, and whoa, you're coming out here, you're just a child. David doesn't, they, they you talk, you you saying I'm a scallywag. He, just, he doesn't do any of that, right? He doesn't start arguing. He doesn't say any of that. He just said, you come to me with sword and spear and staves, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of God The Lord of hosts, the army of Israel. What he did is he said, the witness that is in my life, that's what I'm coming to you. You need to go back to your situation and say, the witness is in me. I'm a child of God. The Holy Ghost is in my life. I operate not in my own auspices and power, but I operate in the power of the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to declare it. I'm a child of God. Woo! Praise God. I know this is supposed to be Bible study, but some of you have been told you're nothing but an alcoholic. Let the witness of God speak for it. Some of you, your past is something that the enemy will try to bring up in your life. Let the witness of God speak for you. It's the anointing of God and the presence of God. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't don't have to argue with you anymore. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just gonna let the witness that is in my life come out. Amen. I am a child of God. This is a key point. And and that's what elevates us. Now, every once in a while, somebody say, Well, <laughs> well, I've tried that and it's not working. Or I've sought the Holy Ghost and I had the Holy Ghost, and but I'm still having problems and I'm still having difficulties. All right. We don't we don't see Paul addressing any of that because for Paul this is this is sublime this is transcendent so for Paul here he, he he doesn't say it but he infers it based on everything that he says in this chapter that the problem is not the holy ghost do you think do you think that Paul would do what he did as a missionary One place in Lystra, he was stoned. They left him under a pile of rocks, thought he was dead. Went back to Lystra. Paul picked himself out of the pile of rocks and walked back into Lystra. They thought he was a ghost. Do you think Paul would live his life like that and go through all the difficulties that he went through if he did not believe that the ultimate was the power of the Holy Ghost? So for Paul, there, there's, there's no argumentation. There's no discussion here. And I, I would tell you, I think we would be very wise to follow Paul's lead. The problem's not the Holy Ghost. The problem has to be elsewhere. And so if it's not the Holy Ghost, then the problem probably resides in me. I'm probably the problem. It's not the Holy Ghost that's a problem. Well, praise God. Somebody say, man, this is so very true. Amen. The Holy Ghost, listen, we're going to preach until we fall out dead in a pulpit that the Holy Ghost is everything that our world needs. It'll help you through difficult struggles. It'll carry you through mountains and valleys. It'll bring healing to your body. You'll, you'll be able to plow through stuff you never be able to get through without the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I'm going to keep preaching that. This pulpit is going to be a pl- Place that preaches that because Paul preaches that and Paul recognizes this is sublime this is transcendent amen this is amazing so the problem then would have to be somewhere else and many times my problem is myself it's not the spirit of God in operation verse number 17 He says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So we reap the benefits. We reap the benefits as not only children, but heirs. That means that we have a connection to the inheritance that is his. Heirs and joint heirs with Christ. So all the benefits, everything that is wrapped up in Jesus, (laughs) We've got a direct connection to that because we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. So he, he lays that out. Here it is. This is the theology of the spirit, the power of the spirit. And then he tells us the functionality of what the Holy Ghost does in our life. And he starts talking about other things in verse number 18. And he says, for I reckon that the sufferings... Of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Sufferings, sufferings, difficulties. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Earth is in travail, and the creature is waiting for a manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now watch this. This is interesting. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Paul is saying here in this passage of Scripture, even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, even though the Spirit is operating in our life, and we're able to get through sufferings and difficulties, this creation is groaning and travailing because it's looking for something better. It's looking for a better redemption. It's looking for a better heaven and earth. It's looking. The earth is running down. Down and everything that is in it, but there is coming something that is better. We're facing suffering, creation is growing, the world is nothing but vanity, and everybody's pursuing and looking for something better. I'm looking for a better promise, I'm looking for a better hope. Amen. There, there are good parts of living in this world, but man, there's a lot of stuff that makes you look and say, Come, Lord Jesus, there has to be something better than this earth. In this world that we live in, it's a world that is full of carnality. I'm looking for a world that will be full of spirituality. I'm looking for Jesus, who's the author and finisher of my faith. I want my faith finally to be finalized at some point and at some place because it doesn't end here. God's going to bring everything together and re- Everything and we'll walk in a new heaven and a new earth, and the Lamb will be the light. For we are saved, verse 24, by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? For if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it, keep. Keep being patient. (laughs) Be patient. Wait for it. Look for it. Pray about it. Verse number 26, he said, you're not alone. He says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Ghost intercedes on our behalf, speaks on our behalf, prays on our behalf. I'm longing for something in hope that is just beyond my complete understanding. I don't completely understand it. I can't see it. I, I, I can't completely visualize it. I, 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 some things are out of my grasp. But yet there's something in my life called the spirit of God that connects me to an answer that I don't have right now. I don't have the solutions. But, man, I feel something. It's going to be all right because there's hope. God's working. God's doing a the work. There's a reflection of the heavenly that comes through his spirit. And even when I am in turmoil and in difficulties, he's making intercession for me. You know, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful when somebody says, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm interceding on your behalf. But it's quite another thing when Jesus is saying, I'm interceding on your behalf and I'm praying for you. That's what happens when the spirit maketh intercession for us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. Praise God. Hallelujah. Does that make sense to you? Is that a powerful thing to you? Jesus Christ went to the cross and conquered death, hell, and the grave. But he's also operating as a high priest. And he is still operating in that capacity and he knows what you're going through and he prays on your behalf. Sometimes when you're talking in tongues and you don't know what you're praying for, it's the Spirit of God praying for your situation. Rebuking the devourer, overcoming the attack upon your life. Thank God for the empowerment of his Spirit. I said thank God for the empowerment of his Spirit. He speaks on our behalf when we don't even know what we're praying for. We're almost finished here in this sublime passage, and we get to this verse, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. There's some pitfalls to this passage of scripture. Because how can you declare this when calamity strikes? It seems rather flippant just to say that, too close to the calamity. It would not be received by the recipient, and it would make us appear rather elementary. And yet that's what it says. How do you say this when children die? I don't know if any of you have been following the news of lately, but in Turkey, we had the privilege of going to Turkey and going to the seven churches of Asia. And we were on the western side of Turkey into the southern part of Turkey near Greece. Istanbul is up uh, the Bosphorus Strait. It's on the it's on the west side. If you go east and southwest, you 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 get onto the border of Syria. An earthquake, a 7.8 earthquake in that region of Turkey has caused over 50,000 people to lose their lives. 50,000 people. That's hard to even comprehend. Their, their buildings and everything are not retrofitted. So an earthquake of that magnitude, everything just collapses and crumbles. And so it's it would be very flippant, <laughs> very flippant, to say all things work together for the good of them who are called of God according to his purpose. In turmoils and struggles when things like this, tragedies, that is, a, by the way, that is a natural evil. There is a moral evil and there is a natural evil. And sometimes people want to blame God and then say, well, how, how could a good and just God allow bad things like this to happen? <clears throat> because God does not make us robots. He gives us the opportunity to make a choice, and we're in a fallen world. Therefore, people make bad choices, and we live in a fragile world. And we know that living out here in California. The ground is not supposed to be moving under your feet. And when it does, it, it, it does something to your psyche. Anybody experienced an earthquake? If you, if, you, if you haven't, you probably will. Because we live right on the San Andreas Fault. By the way, did you know that the Libby Center is named after Sister Libby? They came to God because of the traumatic events of the earthquake that happened in Bakersfield, California in the 50s. And so right now now we've we've moved off theology. Now we're in now we're in philosophical grounds. We're on philosophical grounds. What would the world be like if if there were no uh Dangerous situations or things or no suffering or everything that you did was just great. And there were no problems. Everything was just good. You have no reliance or dependence on God at all. And so we're in this environment where there's natural evil. There's hurricanes. There's earthquakes. There's tornadoes. My grandmother, oh, you're going to move out to California. You're going to die. They have earthquakes out there. It's a Grandma. <laughs> Do you hear the siren going off right now? That's a tornado getting ready to carry our house off. Right? (laughs) I'm going to Florida. Okay, there's hurricanes there. (laughs) At least with a hurricane, you have warning. You can board things up and leave. You have no warning when an earthquake hits. And you have no place to go when a tornado hits. And so... Naturally, we live in a fragile world. It's, they're, they're, there's no guarantee of anything. Thank God we're here and everybody's here and, and, and our eyes are all open. One philosopher said, if you close your eyes, go to sleep, or, are your clothes still in the closet? Because you, you have no consciousness, so you don't know if they're there or not. That's the whole, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? course it makes a sound yes your clothes are still in the closet what are we doing this is a dumb class this is just stupid <laughs> uh, one student in that class he said so God knows everything we we're in a study group so God knows everything he said so if I go out the door and I think left or right does he know if I'm going left or right And somebody astutely said, very timid and kinda quiet, because he was real boisterous, you know. He he knows all the answers. You know, when you're in college and you're in your twenties, you know everything. The professor knows nothing. And so this guy he was arguing the whole time about everything and then this little voice piped up and said, I don't think he cares whether you turn left or right. <laughs> This little feminine voice just cut his legs right out from underneath him. You're not so important that God even cares what you're doing. He's still God. Anyway. So on philosophical grounds, we, we live in a natural world, and there are there, there's a moral element of people that do terrible things. Anybody ever heard the buying, torture, and kill story? BTK killer? Hear about that guy? Oh, my goodness. The BTK killer killed all kinds of, uh, serial killer. He was only discovered because he had made a copy of something. And this is what's amazing. He made a copy of something, and he left the copy in the copier. And the copier was in the church office where he was a deacon of the church. BTK killer. People do incomprehensible things because they they have moral free will and agent. And, and, uh, you know, society as it devolves, breaks down, uh, you also have a component of mental health that's also in, in, that interplays in all of this. A lot of mass shootings, school shootings, it's a mental problem. It's a mental health issue. And so everybody wants to throw money at this and, and this and that and this program. And that. Our society, in its carnality, is producing some of the consequences and effects of the world that we live in. Thank God for the house of God. Thank God for the spirit of God. Thank God we're standing here in our right mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So this verse can become very difficult when commitments are broken, families are broken apart, and the news floors you. And you're looking at all of this and you're wondering. How can anything good can come out of this? He doesn't stop with just that verse, but he continues. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. It's in Jesus. That they might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? He's answering the question right here. What shall we say to these things? And here he says it. If God before us. Who can be against us? I may be going through some difficult trials. I may not even have the answer for it. But I know that if God is for me, who can be against me? There's a hope somewhere in there. I don't understand it, but there's a hope somewhere. Because God is for me. He's not working against me. He's not arraying himself against me. He's not trying to destroy me. But he's trying to build me up somehow. There's something good coming out of this. Praise God. And so timing sometimes is is important, but there is the answer. God is for us. There's a treasure somewhere in this rubble. You may not see it, but it is there, and God's going to work it. He's going to perform it, and at some point, I'm going to look back at things in my life and say, you know what? I wouldn't want to go through that again. I wouldn't want to experience those things again. But God took all that stuff, and he made me who I am. And there was hope in the middle of all of that. Praise God. You can't can't go back and change something. I wish you could. Wouldn't that be cool? Just, like, put it on rewind? Change things. It's all different now. What power would there would be in that, right? You say something dumb, you're just like... Let me start back. Let me do that again. Can you go back? You can't do that. You can't rewind things in life. Even, even even if they are traumatic experiences, all things work together for to the to the good to them that love God. I think really that's I really think that's the spirit that's coming out of that. Not not that we just say something to somebody that just has suffered tragic loss as if it's some platitude. But rather, when we get through it because there's nothing you can do to change it, it is what it is. But somehow, through the midst of all of that, God is for us. And somehow, there's hope in the middle of, of all of that. And at some point, I'm, I'm going to look back on my life and say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I that was a dumb decision on my part. Or I was done wrong or... or or this or that happened in my life. At some point, we're going to look back on that and say, despite of those things, God was for me. Other people rejected me, marginalized me, discounted me, but God was for me. (laughs) And then, this is a sublime chapter. Man. And then, so if that's the answer to that, All things work together for good is that God is for me. Then then Paul is going to end the chapter by saying, and I want you to know how powerful that connection is. What are you? You're children of God, heirs, joint heirs with Christ. You have all the benefits. His spirit's working in your life. You're walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. And, And it's operating even in the middle of sufferings and difficulties when you don't have answers for it. Know this. God is for you. And then he tells us how much God is for us. Are you ready to finish tonight? Praise God. Let's stand and let's finish strong tonight. This is it. We'll finish with just the word here tonight. And a shout of praise. How about that? That's how we're going to end. We're going to finish strong here with the word, and then we're going to let a shout of praise and triumph come forth. So, Paul says at the end here, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then, he, this, he's really going to, he's going to finish strong here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to thank God together. There is nothing that can remove me from your power and anointing. There is nothing that can separate me from your strength. There is nothing that can take me out of your hand. Woo! Clap your hands and worship the Lord together. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, you can make it. You can do it. You are more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is working. God is for you. He's working for you. He's he's for you. He's not against you. You can make it. You can do it. You can do it. Amen. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a sublime Chapter in the Bible. It doesn't get any better than that. Amen. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. I'm persuaded in that. Are you persuaded? I'm persuaded in that. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible says that we come to the house of God and we provoke one another to good works. I'm persuaded. Amen. That the things I don't even have an answer for, I know God is for you. And at some point, we're going to see what God was doing. I don't understand it now, but God's working, God's doing. And at some point, you're going to have a testimony because God's working in your life. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. Amen, so we need to encourage one another in the house of God by being persuaded that God is working on and in our behalf. Amen, so find somebody and tell them, I'm persuaded God's doing some things in your life. Amen, this is the meet and greet part. Amen. I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded, I'm persuaded. Amen. That's it. God bless you. Find five or six people and tell them I'm persuaded that God is working in your life. Amen. He's doing it. He's doing it.